the art of living a worthy life together. That's the title of this worship and preaching series we are in the midst of. It's based upon the text that was chosen by the Vitality team that Pastor Chandler just read for us. The opening verse sets the table. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. On January the 13th, we began to unpack that verse, and we noted that a worthy life begins with a call that God initiates, a call that is given to all people. Each one of us is included in that call, a call that pursues us not only to surrender our life to Jesus Christ, but to be guided and led by him as we live our lives as followers of Jesus. A call that transforms us, making us new, completely new, into the likeness of his son, Jesus the Christ. And we ended with a question that Sunday. Are we listening? He is calling, still, daily, moment by moment, in our lives. Last Sunday, we missed. I gave the sermon, but nobody was there. (laughs) Of course, it was in my basement at home in Milford because it was all snowed in and iced over. I must admit, though, coming to work on Tuesday last week, driving up the the Wilbercross Parkway and then the Berlin Turnpike, it was like driving through a crystal forest as the sun was shining bright and all the trees were covered in ice. It was absolutely gorgeous, unless you were under a tree when it began to melt. Last Sunday, we would have continued in Ephesians 4, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Here's a nutshell of an undelivered message. A life worthy of our calling is a humble life. The truth is clear. God has done all the heavy lifting when it comes to creation and when it comes to our redemption. And the example of genuine humility is revealed in Jesus and how he behaved as he lived here among us. Secondly, a life worthy of our calling is a gentle life. Jesus is our example of gentleness. He takes the role of a servant as he washes his disciples' feet. He declares that greatness in his kingdom is in being a servant. Servant leadership is Jesus' style and the style he seeks to reproduce in our lives. A life life worthy of our calling is a patient life a life that persistently listens and clings to God, a life that persistently serves others with God's grace and truth, a life that never gives up on what God can do in the life of a person. And a life worthy of our calling is a loving life. That is the core of our relationship with God. The Bible doesn't say the world will know we are Christians by our knowledge. The Bible doesn't say the world will know we are Christians by our theology. The Bible doesn't say that the world will know we are Christians by how we worship. What the Bible says is that the world will know we are Christians by our love. By our love for God, by our love for one another, by our love for others, a humble love a gentle love, a patiently persistent love, because Jesus has been patiently persistent with each of us, with a love exactly like Jesus' love, because Jesus lives in our lives.
This morning, we continue with Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. As we dive into this, I need your help. Help me complete the following sentence. Birds of a feather. Are you convinced of that? It happens all the time. There are all kinds of ties that bind us together with other people. The ties of family. Many holidays are spent with the gathering of family. Family reunions have become popular. In fact, locations are being built all around the the United States for family reunion gathering places. There are ties based on common interests. Later today, it won't be as crowded, but next Sunday afternoon and evening, you can go just about any sports bar in Greater Berlin And you'll find a bunch of guys primarily hanging out, watching football and drinking beer. Because these are people who like football and beer. And they combine it every fall up until Super Bowl Sunday, gathering in sports bars everywhere. I know one Sunday I was here, I was on my way over to see uh, Bob Freeman before he passed away. And I wasn't going to go home first. I decided to stay. So I stayed around and went to a sports bar on my way over to the hospital where he was located. Just walked in because I wanted some wings and I wanted to see a little football before I went to see Bob. I couldn't get a seat. It was crowded. And the Patriots weren't even on. Go figure. The Apostle Paul is about to speak about those things that mark our uniqueness, the things that make us different from each other. Every time Paul does this, and he does it several times in most of his letters, two things take place with the readers and the hearers of his letters. First, they are so eager to get into their uniqueness, their giftedness themselves, who they personally are, that they tend to, number two, gloss over the core teaching that comes prior to the uniqueness teaching. The core teaching that binds us together. This morning we're going to pause and listen to the Apostle Paul's teaching on oneness before we get into our unique giftedness, which will begin next Sunday. So we begin with Ephesians 4, 3. Our role in oneness. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Note, Paul does not say make every effort to produce unity in the Spirit. Instead, he says make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. We are never told in the Scripture to produce unity in the church. Unity is already there by virtue of the Holy Spirit. There is no need to create unity. In fact, we are unable to create unity. It is not a goal of the Christian. The verses that follow reveal how God will do this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Let me liken it to this example. In the old days when people had box brownie cameras and they were taking a picture in a dark place, they had a flash attachment. It was round about that big and you put a bulb in the middle of it. Some of you remember that and some of you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. And they would take your picture and this flash would just light up your face and your eyes would blink and you couldn't see for a second or two except you saw this little round dot and if you tried to focus on it, it kept on moving. And you'd try and, if you focused on something steady, it would be in your peripheral vision. Unity is like that dot. It's not the goal, but it is there if you stay focused on what is permanent and central, which is Jesus himself. Then that unity will be there because you'll be focusing on that which brings the unity not on unity itself. So we continue as we look to Ephesians 4.5, the threefold work of oneness by Jesus himself. I'm going to wait and do 4.4 first. The threefold work of oneness by the Holy Spirit, the fourth verse of Ephesians 4. For there is one body, there is one spirit, as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. future. One body, just one. Paul does not say organization. He says body. The essence of a body is that it consists of thousands, in fact millions of cells, with one mutually shared life. It is the sharing of life that makes a body different from an organization. Contrary to the old spiritual, a body is not produced by the toe bone being connected to the ankle bone and the ankle bone being connected to the knee bone, etc., The body is an extension of one original cell, just one, growing until it becomes a full-fledged, mature body. But every cell of which shares that original life, only the spirit can produce a body. It is not produced in any other way. It is a mystery. It is profound. We can name some processes We can name some elements in the processes. But the mystery is, how does it live? How does it exist? How does it function? Only the Spirit can produce that body. Secondly, he says, one Spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit. There's only one source of life. There's only one ultimate power. A mistaken concept that many Christians have today is that the church gains power when it gets larger. The more folks you have, the more you can influence society. And while that may work for a while, it may have an appearance of truth to it, that is not where the power is, and it has never been there. It's not in numbers. The Holy Spirit is the power of the church, and he's the same everywhere, which is why when you travel around the world and discover places where Christians are gathering, there is a connection that's only produced by the presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of their lives and your own life. It's, even if you don't speak the same language. I've been in churches around the world not knowing a word of what they're saying, but feeling the power and the oneness of worship together with brothers and sisters who say what I would love to say, but say it with words that I have no idea about. I have often prayed for the gift of translation. 
so that I could hear what they're saying. But I feel it. I sense it. There's life in it. There's power in it. The church is not dependent on many or few or on the wisdom of its members. The church depends upon one thing only, the Holy Spirit of God, that he may rain down upon us and all who name Christ as Lord. And third, one glorious hope. Earlier in the same letter, Paul wrote this. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Our one glorious hope is the return of Jesus and the beginning of God's abundant and eternal life in heaven. And we are included in that. And it is the Holy Spirit in us that keeps this one glorious hope in our vision. The work of the Holy Spirit in oneness is the body, the Spirit himself, and the glorious hope for our future. Now we move on to Ephesians 4.5, the threefold work of oneness by Jesus himself. There is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism. One Lord. Jesus declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Peter is standing before the Sanhedrin and he says, quote, There is no other name under heaven by which we must or can be saved. End of quote. Acts 4, 12. And Paul writes, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Jesus is the supreme person of the universe. Of the universe. There is no other Lord there will be no other Lord. One Lord. One faith. I'm convinced that Paul is not writing here about the objective or the intellectual faith, that body of truth given to all Christians in the Scriptures. I believe that Paul is here talking about the subjective faith. That is, the faith or the trust in the person of Jesus Christ, a dynamic, personal relationship faith. A story to illustrate from many years ago, even before my time, many, many years ago. A wire walker was given permission to stretch a wire across Niagara Falls. We've seen it in our day as well. People were drawn to come and to see this dangerous event. The day arrived and people came from all over the country to watch and to marvel. Before the walk began, the wire walker asked the crowd, How many of you believe that I can safely walk across this wire to the other side while pushing this wheelbarrow? Hands shot up everywhere. So the wire walker asked, Do you really believe? The throng shouted, Yes! So the wire walker said, I'm looking for a real believer. Someone who will join me and get into the wheelbarrow. The crowd was stunned into silence. 
No one volunteered. I want to say to you that the one faith is personal and is in Jesus. He asks us to trust him and in essence get into his wheelbarrow for the adventure of our life. Wow, and what a view. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Paul is not writing here about the ritual of baptism, as beautiful and as wonderful as that is. He is writing about the deep spiritual meaning of baptism. Baptizo is the Greek word. It means the complete and total identification of one thing with another. What Paul is writing about here is identity. He is stating there is one identity, just one. My identity is not that I'm a male, though I am a male. My identity is Jesus Christ. My identity, my identity is not that I'm a pastor, though I am a pastor. Been a pastor for a long time. I'll be a pastor till I die. But my identity is not that I'm a pastor. My identity is Jesus Christ. My identity is not that I'm an American, though I am an American and happy to be one. But my identity is Jesus Christ. If our identity is found in anything else over the person of Jesus Christ, then he's not our Lord. Our identity is in Jesus. We are who he says we are. We are what the scriptures tell us we are. We are Christian. Jesus Christ is our identity. We are who he says we are everything. Everything else in our life is secondary at best. And we conclude with Ephesians 4, 6. The overall work of oneness by the Father. One God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. It's the seventh time the word one is used. The rabbis had a number of tools to help people remember what they were taught. They didn't have books or pamphlets they could grab hold of. Nobody could afford scrolls because it required a scribe to copy by hand everything that was written to give somebody a scroll. So they had to remember in their minds what was being said to them. And one of the chief tools of the rabbis was repetition. So if you read a text throughout any part of the Bible and you find something is repeated, pay attention to that. If there's a word that shows up every couple of lines, pay attention to that. In this text, the word one shows up seven times. This one is both the initiation and culmination of the other six ones. The Father began it all in creation though the Son and the Holy Spirit were also present and active in creation. The Father initiated salvation by sending the Son to rescue humanity. The Son gives his life to accomplish what? The Father's will for our rescue and redemption. The Son sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within those who believe. And that Spirit always points to the Son, never to himself, always to Jesus and to the hope of the Son's return. And upon the Son's return, all of the rescued and redeemed people will be gathered to the Father. You see, the Father is the bookends from the beginning to the ending, from the culmination of it all to the initiation of it all. 
God surrounds it. The Father's work is to make it all happen. He sends the Son to do it. The Son sends the Spirit to dwell us and draw us towards eternity. It's all the work of the Father surrounding them. And that's why when we're drawn to heaven, when our day is up here and we're drawn to heaven, it's in the presence of the Father, which is why no eye has seen No ear has heard. It has not been put into the mind of a human being what God has in store. Do you have a good imagination? Do you have a good imagination? Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I have a wonderful imagination. I can imagine so many incredible things. And the Bible tells me I can't even begin to imagine what God has planned for eternity. I have a hard time imagining what he's planning right here and now and how he's working with me and with us together. It's unbelievable. But as you live your life, you begin to go, wow, this is so believable what has happened. I wonder what we're in store for. Unity or oneness is not something we create. It is something we are asked to preserve, to keep, and to maintain because it's something God does. The personal question, what are you, what am I doing to preserve to maintain, and to keep the oneness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our personal lives and in our life together. Listen again to the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church and the churches in the region of Ephesus. This is written also to the church in Berlin. I A prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, there is one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 40. Verse 8, pray with me. God of heaven and earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the culture of oneness that you have created and placed within us. Help us to keep, preserve, and foster that oneness and not distract from your plan or your ways, your call to live worthy lives with one another. This I pray in the name of Jesus who redeemed and rescued us and brings us life. Amen.